We'll see how that goes. Um, if I get up, somebody just point. Clint, just point if I get up, okay? Clint's already got his uh, doubts about me doing this. All right, so there is a generation that everything they've learned about biblical truths, they've learned from this thing called VeggieTales. And um, I love VeggieTales. I mean, a grown man, I love VeggieTales. And um, one of the things, the reason I love VeggieTales is they take really complex things and they make them really simple. And I am a really simple guy who has a hard time with complex things. So simple works for me. And the greatest lesson that I could tell you that VeggieTales teach us, teaches us goes something like this. God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. Oh, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's watching out for you and me. Because that's exactly what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. That God is bigger, that God is greater than anything, everything that we'll face in our life. Whatever it is, whatever you have going on, whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever it is, and we are all have been through some stuff, maybe we're going through some stuff, and if not, you're facing some stuff. I used to say this all the time, and, and I'll probably get around to saying it again, but I think life comes down to this. Either you're in a storm, you just survived a storm, or you're getting ready for the next storm. And that's kind of how our lives play out. And so the question this morning is, who's the boogeyman? If if God is bigger than the boogeyman, if God is greater than the boogeyman, who is the boogeyman? Because the boogeyman gets a lot of press in our culture, and the boogeyman is this, and the boogeyman is that, and we've got all these theories about the boogeyman. But I think the Bible kind of identifies who the boogeyman is to us. And if you kind of study our culture, we understand that the boogeyman, I believe, is this little thing called anxiety. It's a little bitty word. Which is a really clinical way of saying worry. Okay? And so because 40 million Americans, 40 million Americans deal with anxiety problems. Deal with issues of worrying. And so we have to understand what worry is and what worry is not. Folks, you also have to understand how anxiety affects your life physically. How it affects your life emotionally. And how it affects your life spiritually. Now, I need to do a, a confession up front. I don't worry about much of anything. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, I think it's really good. Uh, my wife, whom I love, can, can worry about some stuff. And sometimes she gets a little concerned. I don't seem as concerned about things as she is. And so the way we work is this. She worries enough for the both of us. She covers both of us when stuff is going on. And it, work, and it kind of works out really well. But man, it's tough not to worry. And so the question is, we're going to try to figure out is, what is worry? Why is it so devastating? And so we're going to kind of strip the, the layers of worry back today. And what we need to understand is if God is greater than anything, your circumstances, your disappointment, your situation, your fears, your anxieties, your, your troubles, your problems. If God is greater than everything and anything, that means we can get through anything with God. 
And that's why, why God is greater than. Paul says it this way in Philippians. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything. Not some things, not most things, not a lot of things, not almost everything. Everything, anything. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. I can do anything even if it's my fault with Christ. I can do anything when life's unfair to me with Christ. Whatever I'm facing, whatever is coming, whatever I'm in the middle of, I can get through it and I can deal with it and I can do everything, anything, all things through Christ. And that includes dealing with anxiety. Now, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. And so here are my rules for the day. If you are married to a warrior, you cannot nudge her or him during the sermon. You can't look at them. You can't poke them. You can't do anything like that because that's just not fair and I'm going to know who you are. All right. So that's usually how it works. And so what I want to do today is we're going to, we're going to look at what worrying is from a biblical perspective. Okay. That's what we want to do. And this is tough. And this is the kind of thing, if you're a worrier, this is the kind of thing where people go, well, that's not necessarily the case. I'm telling you, this is exactly what worry is. Okay, so here's the first thing. Worrying is the sin of distrusting the promise of God. First thing, out of, right thing out of the gate. Worry is the sin. Worry is a sin, and it's a sin of distrusting God's promises. Because either God is greater than what you're going through, or he's not. Either, either or. Either he's bigger than your boogeyman, or he's not. And so either I'm going to allow God to, to give me the strength to deal with my stuff, or I'm going to deal with my stuff and kind of pull God in if I think I need him. Because that's what warriors do. We pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray, right? But then we don't let go of anything. It's kind of like trying to carry a balloon around all the time. You know, eventually that balloon's going to pop. And when it pops, it's going to startle you. Balloons were not not created to carry around all the time. They lose air or they just, you know, something happens and they pop. We were not created to carry anxiety around. In the greatest sermon that was ever preached, which is what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about anxiety. And he talked about worrying. And this is what he says. And this is the message, which reads a little differently. But I love the way he says uh, some things are kind of interpreted in this. So I want you to listen. This is a long passage. So just hang with me and listen to this. But you can follow along if you want to. If you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Then he says this, Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of the mirror, ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? Now, that reminds me of an episode of the Brady Bunch, which I won't digress into years ago when Peter wanted to be tall. But anyway, you can't make yourself taller, right? You, you, you can't do it. You can't change how God made you. And that's the whole point. So let's go on. All this time and money wasted on fashion. You, do you think it makes... 
Do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but if you've ever seen color and design quite like it. The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives them gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. Now, I'm going to read that sentence again. That's a, that's a great thought. What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't fuss, people who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Jesus says this, worrying about stuff is a waste of your time. And worrying about stuff that you can't control is a waste of your time. If you're worried about something you can fix, fix it. Do something about it. I have a lot of friends in our church and other places who are teachers. Uh, we live in a day and age where uh, people walk into schools with guns. I remember, uh, like it was yesterday, uh, Columbine. That was a long time ago. That was 1998. But I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember having to drop my son off. And I'm just telling you, there are a lot of horrible things that happen in this life. And we can focus on those things. Or we can focus on the, the work of God in our life. If your child is sick, you can't make him well by worrying. If your marriage is in trouble, you can't make it better by worrying. If your company's falling apart, you can't make it better by worrying. And if you have a broken relationship with someone, you'll never make it better by just worrying about it. There are things that we can do, and there are things that we can't do. And so we have to understand what worrying is and, and what we're talking about in the big scheme is worrying about stuff we cannot control. Things we cannot change. Things we have no hand over. Because the stuff we can fix, we need to fix. The stuff we can change, we need to change. And so worrying is a sin. And it's a sin of distrusting God. Which, let me go ahead and say this also. And this fits for a lot of things. And you will not, this will not be the last time you hear me say this. Worrying is not a personal issue. Worrying is not a, a choice. It is a spiritual issue. And when you understand that worrying is a spiritual issue, you understand that worrying is between you and God. And when you understand that, you understand there's a lot of things we talk about in life that are spiritual issues. But we'll save that for another day and for another time. So worrying is a sin, but it's also a control issue. Worry is a control issue. It is this idea that I... Need to be in control of all things. I have a friend who is a 
incredibly gifted warrior. And I don't mean that in the best sense of the word, but man, she's pretty good at it. She's really, really good at it. She's got it down to a science. And it gets in the way of all kinds of stuff. Because here is the, uh, I believe, this is the core. If I worry, I can control it. And that's kind of what worry is. It becomes this control issue. And so here's the question. Who's in control of your children when they leave your care? Who's in control of the plane when you get on a plane? I remember flying the first time I flew across an ocean. And I was on the plane for 17 hours. I think. It felt like 50, but it was a long flight. And you know what? There's a lot of things I can do. I got, I got my passport ready. I packed my bag. I got to the airport on time. I did all these things. But once I stepped on the plane, I was done. I was out of control. If you were a warrior and you've never flown, go fly somewhere. Just one place, one time. Go fly somewhere. And if you can survive the flight, you might be ready to let some stuff go. So I want to take you back in, into the Old Testament real quick and tell you about a guy who was not a warrior, who was not a control freak, who didn't try to fix everything, who didn't try to control everything. But if there was anybody who ever would in human history, it would be this guy. And we're not going to read his whole story, but I'm going to just read a, the important part of it for today. But there's this guy in the Old Testament named Joseph. And Joseph was, a, was the next youngest brother. He had these older brothers who hated him because he was the favorite. Now everybody, if there's more than one, if you have more than one kid, one child thinks the other's a favorite. That's just how it rolls. Okay? My daughter's, conv my daughter's convinced she's a favorite. My son's convinced it's true. Alright? I mean, they're just, that's just kind of how it works. Alright? And so, but Joseph was the favorite. He was the favorite. Hands down. Because daddy gave him a coat. And we know it, the coat of many colors. Now, you give me a coat of many colors, it's going to hang in my closet. I'm just, I'm just it's going to hang in my closet. You give me shorts of many colors, it's probably going to sit in my drawer. She knows. I'm play, I'm a, but in this culture, in this day, at this time, man, that was a really, really big deal. Getting a coat was a really, really big deal. And... Joseph is kind of a jerk. You know, I mean, just being honest, he's kind of a jerk. And he kind of flaunted his favoritism to his brothers. Well, there comes a point in time where older brothers do some things. Now, I've, I'm an older brother. Never have I thought this way. I have thought, I, I thought about leaving my brother in a buggy at Kmart. I mean, but I never thought that I'd leave him there permanently. And so Joseph's brothers say, we've got to get rid of this guy. He is in the way, right? And so their first thought is to kill him. Pretty drastic, I think. But, they, but Reuben the oldest says, that's a terrible idea. We can't do that. And y'all just, we'll, we'll figure something out. Well, Reuben leaves them. He's the oldest. He's the wise one. And the rest of them are to themselves. And Joseph shows up with his coat. And they say, all right, he's out. And they beat him up. They throw him in a hole. And they sell him. Now, I have thought about that before. And they sell their brother as a slave. And he goes to Egypt. And he lives 
in the house of a man named Potiphar, who the Bible tells us is the captain of the guard. So let me, let me explain to you what that means, who Potiphar was, if you study history. Potiphar was the captain of the guard, which is another way of saying he was the king's executioner. And he had a lot of power. And if Potiphar wanted you dead, you would die. He was the guy the king called in when he needed to deal with some really serious stuff. And Joseph ends up in this guy's house, flourishes, never complains, never moans, never gripes, accused of attacking Potiphar's wife, didn't do it, thrown in prison, never groans, never complains, never gripes, never not one time does Joseph do anything that makes us believe that God was not in control of his life. In fact, when he ends up out of prison and he ends up interpreting this dream uh, for Pharaoh and becomes a, about this famine that's going to come and he gets put in charge of this project, his brothers show up. And his brothers don't know who he is and then he, and then he reveals himself to his brothers and put yourself in their hands for a second. You wanted to kill your brother, you sold your brother, and now your brother's got all the power. He's the second most powerful person on the planet. And you are not. And you, and you stand before them because you're going to starve to death without his good graces. And now you might die because of what you did when you were a kid. But Joseph says this in Genesis 45. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. In other words... You thought you were doing this, but God just kind of made this happen to save you. This famine has, been, has ravaged the land for two years, will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7 says this, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. God's plan for the people of Israel was to always end up in Egypt. This is the way that it happened. And what you learn when you study the life of Joseph is he understood there was something greater going on. There was something bigger going on. He didn't really get exactly what it was, but he never worried about his situation. He never complained about his situation. He never moaned and groaned about his situation. He never bellyached to God. He lived his life as if he understood God was in control. And that's kind of what happens when we worry. We take control of our circumstances away from God. Because faith in God and worried about everything do not coexist in the same place. Because it is the opposite. Faith in God is, God, whatever happens, I'm with you. Anxiety is, whatever happens, I'm going to make it better. I'm going to fix it. If I keep my hands on it, I can control it. If I control it, I can manipulate circumstances, right? If my kid is sick, I can make him better. If my marriage is crumbling, I can make it better. I can fix everything. And if you're a warrior, you know this. And if you're not, you know this. If you live with someone or know someone who is... All worrying does is locks you in prison. That's all it does. It just locks you in prison. People who seem to go through life not worrying about anything 
you know, people who are warriors really get upset about that. You know, how can you? How can you? How, how can you? Don't you care? I care. I just trust God more than I care. Think of it this way. When we live by faith, we believe God has everything under control. Let me say that again. When we live by faith, we believe God has everything under control. When we don't believe God has everything under control, we are dominated by worry. And that's the simple truth. That's as biblical as biblical can be. So when you live by faith, means God's in control. When we don't live by faith, it means we're in control. And when we're in control, trying to fix everything, man, that's a, anxiety just starts to pile up inside of you. And so how do we move past this? That, that's the question. How, how, how can we move past this, this worrying thing? What, what can we do? So I want you to think of this in terms of less. Okay? In terms of less. You know that idea, less is more? You ever heard that? Less is more? That's absolutely true. When it comes to you and God, less is more. So think of it this way. Less of you and more of Him. That's, that's, that's the key to unlocking this whole thing. If you're a worrier, you know a worrier, that's the key. Less of you, more of Him. Because worrying, when you're dominated by worry, it's the opposite. It's more of me and less of God. When you live by faith, it's less of me, more of God. It means you can only control what you can control. Five years ago, this November, I went to South Africa. And I was mentioning that earlier on, getting on the plane. It was the time the Ebola outbreak was taking place. And there were a lot of people really worried about me. Now, she was, she never really told me. I mean, I'm sure she was concerned, but, you know, but she, we were worried about Ebola. I wouldn't, Ebola wasn't our problem. But I wish, you know that old phrase, I wish I had a dollar every time? Man, I wish I had a dollar every time someone said, aren't you afraid getting Ebola? Worried about the plane crashing, not worried about Ebola. <laughs> worried about the baby maybe next to me on the plane, not worried about Ebola. And then when you try to explain, we're going to be down here, and the outbreak is way up here, and, well, I wish I had a dollar. We could pick a, we'd have a good chunk on this building paid down. Man, it dominated the conversation. And instead of this opportunity, we had to go over uh, with a buddy of mine, with, a, with his team, to kind of carve the path for this new ministry and how they're going to do things. I spent most of my time telling people, it'll, it'll be okay. It, it, it'll be fine. Warriors see the news. They saw the worst. They saw the worst. And you can focus on the worst. And when you focus on the worst, that's when worry and dominates your life. Or you can focus on God. Be concerned about things you should be concerned about. Concern and worry aren't the same thing. It's not, you know, well, that's the same thing. No, it's not. I'm concerned about a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff I'm concerned about. There's hardly anything, maybe nothing that I'm worried about. But concern, I've got a big pile of list of things I'm concerned about. Some of them I can do something about. Some of them I can't, so I just leave those over to God. I said it a few weeks back, or maybe it's months back now, time has flown. Here's the deal. If you want to know the, the deal, way to deal with worry and faith is this. Do what only you can do. 
So if you're a warrior, look at what it is consumes you and say, okay, what can I do to make it better? What can God do to make it better? What can I do to, to make this to change the circumstances? What can God do to change these circumstances? Do what you can do. But then trust God to do what he does. Which takes us to this next thing about this whole list. And this is worry less and pray more. If you really, 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 if you are a worrier or you know someone who is, this is really where it all kicks into high gear. Worry less and pray more. So every time you're consumed with anxiety about whatever it is that consumes you, stop and pray. Just stop and pray. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. I love that. Don't worry about anything. Now, I could just stop right there, but he didn't. Instead, pray about everything. So Paul says, look, here's the deal. Stop worrying and start praying. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then... You will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Folks, I'm telling you, if you're a worrier, worry is a warning sign. It's time to stop and pray. So when that little bell goes off or whatever it is that, that makes you con- be consumed with fear of the worst case scenario, that is God's way of saying, time to pray. It's time to pray. My kids... Um, used to drive uh, three hours across the state to go to school, back and forth. Did it all the time. Um, we, have, we have kids here doing the same thing. Once they leave the house, there's not much I can do. Except, say, if you need me, call me and I'll be there. But other than that, there's nothing I can do. Don't you care, my kids? Yeah. But I can't make it better. I can't control... How people drive, I can't control how they drive. I can't control if a dog... I mean, there's so many horrible things that if I stopped and thought about would consume me. Instead, I choose to focus on who God is and what God's done. Because here's what I know about prayer. Prayer is a focus changer and prayer is a priority changer. And prayer changes what you focus on. And when you pray, you're forced to focus on God and His character and His provision. When you're consumed with worry, you're focused on what consumes you and your provision. But prayer forces you to change that. And sometimes, before you can pray about something specifically, you may have to say, God, just help me to stop doing this. Just help me to stop worrying about things I cannot fix and I cannot change. Because I'm telling you, anxiety is the boogeyman. And he's lurking out there. And he's just waiting. So it really comes down to this. Either we trust God. I mean, this sounds, sounds, I mean, it's simple. Either we trust God or we don't. It's, it's, It's as simple as that. Either we trust God, that God is God and I'm not, or we don't. You choose to trust God or you choose to trust yourself. Tell me which you or God who can do the most. Who can change circumstances? Who can answer prayer? Who can heal sickness? Who can make things better? Who can help you get through when things don't get better? 
Focus on God. Focus on you. Solomon says it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. So consider it this way. Think of it this way. When I choose to follow Jesus, I choose to go where He leads me, right? When I choose to obey Jesus, I choose to do what He says. When I choose to trust Jesus, I acknowledge that everything is in His hands, right? Now here's the opposite. When I choose not to follow Jesus... I do so because I don't want to go where he leads. When I choose not to obey Jesus, it's because I don't want to do what he says. When I choose not to trust Jesus, it's because I believe my problems are better off in my hands than his. That is the rallying cry of a worrier. Though they've never said it out loud, my problems are better off in my hands than God's hands. God is greater than whatever you fear happening in your life. The worst case scenario, whether it be with your kids, your marriage, your grandkids, your, your family, your, your business, whatever it is right now that you're struggling with, God is greater than your fear of what might happen. Now, I can't promise you what might happen won't happen. And that's the, that's the rub of this whole thing. But I can tell you this, worrying won't change that either. Worrying just makes you miserable and just drives you further and further away from God. Maybe God will change your circumstances and maybe He won't. Maybe God will intervene and maybe He won't. But God will help you get through whatever happens in your life. If you do life with Him and trust Him. So let me leave you with this. To live as if God is greater than my fears and anxieties is to trust in God and His faithfulness more than you trust in your own abilities. Let me read it again. To live as if God is greater than my fears and anxieties is to trust in God and His faithfulness more than you trust in your own abilities. So you trust God more or you trust you more? You trust God more, you trust doctors more. Who, who do you trust more? And here's the rest of it, because when God is enough, the blessing of God will always exceed your expectations. And here's what that means. If Jesus is enough for you, whatever happens in your circumstances, then he will be enough when the worst happens. And if Jesus is enough in the best of circumstances, he will be enough when the worst doesn't happen. I'm not going to sit here and promise you what God will do except this. He's promised to be with us. He's promised to be faithful. He's promised to deliver us. He's promised to give us strength. He's promised to give us endurance. He's promised to help us be patient. He's promised so much. And all He's asked of us is that we trust Him. So here's a question. In your life, what's greater? Is God greater than your fears are your fears greater than God? That's the question. Grateful, Lord, for this day. Thank you for um, your provision in our lives. We are here today because you are so much greater than anything we face. We are here today because you are so much more than we can ever be without you. You are simply enough whatever we face in our life. You will always be enough. 
So Lord, I pray that you will help us to choose to put our lives in your hands instead of putting our lives in our hands. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand now as we have a time of decision?